Jason, great to have you. Been watching Zai Wave with great interest over the last few years. I hope you didn't take us the wrong way. It's like I think one of the uh, the biggest companies that people don't know about. So we're going to talk a bit more about that. But I believe you're calling in from, uh, if not head office itself, but pretty close by in Chicago. Yes. Uh, greetings from Chicago, Matthew. Zywave is, is actually headquartered in, in Milwaukee, but I'm based in Chicago. Well, my, my research tells me that Milwaukee is famous for brewing Harley-Davidson, and I also happen to know they make great power tools, but uh, I guess it's Zywave as well. They're one, one of the, the, the success stories of Milwaukee. You know, we, we do have a sizable office, and we have a really good bar in our office, uh, so we, we open it up to our employees, and certainly in the summers, we have nice... Uh, Nice patio parties, uh, so it, it's good for that reason. But uh, yeah, you know, also uh, Milwaukee Bucks uh, won the um, you know won the NBA a, a couple of years back, so uh, there's a lot to celebrate. You know, Zywave is north of a uh, thousand employees, of which uh, you know a, a few hundred live in Milwaukee. So it, it's a very much of a global company, but the business has been around for about thirty years, and the roots and founding have been in Milwaukee. Hello and welcome, Matthew Grant here. Now, if you've ever wondered what it's like running a large company, then you're about to find out. Jason Liu has been CEO of Zyway for five years, and in that time, it's been one of the most acquisitive tech companies serving the insurance market. Well, how do you cope with integrating two new companies a year into your business, manage a thousand people, and still have time for a morning run? Well, it doesn't happen by chance, as you're about to find out. And whilst we're talking about learning more, take a look at www.instech.co to find out what we're doing at Instech this month and why so many insurers and tech companies are joining our collaboration of the curious. Just a bit about Zyway before we start, and you give us a hint on this already. So you're a global software company. You're focused very much on the front office. We're going to talk a bit more about that, working with insurers and brokers, helping them acquire new customers, delivering quotes. Uh, you've got around 15,000 brokers, I believe, and 1,000 insurers as your clients. And you've been doubling in uh, the last two years. And I, I think probably one of the most acquisitive companies in uh, certainly in the last five years, which is quite something given what we've been seeing going on in these markets. Uh, what's the most important thing people should think about when they think about Zywave? Zywave is, as you said, the fastest growing and the most disruptive software company in InsureTech right now. And unfortunately, many of the folks have either not heard of Zywave or still think of Zywave uh, as it was, you know, five or 10 years ago. Over the last five years, we have been uh, the most acquisitive software company in the entire insurance industry. We've made 10 acquisitions, spending almost about a billion dollars. And there's a, a, been a method to our mass madness. And we've been able to acquire uh, some of the leading brands in the marketplace and been able to identify kind of the hottest companies in the marketplace and pull them together into a unified story and a unified organization. The big message I would share with, with your viewers is Zywave is fastest growing, most aggressive and, and most uh, ambitious you know, player right now in, in the space. And it's exciting times for us. Jason, I want to come back to one thing you said at the beginning there, and you used the word disruptive more broadly in what's been happening in the last 10 years in the space. Disruptors have actually, I would say, got quite a bad reputation. And I suspect you use that word quite intentionally. So Great to hear that you're still confident in using it, and I, I know it's got a positive angle to it. But can you just explain a little bit about why you still feel uh, and why you've been successful going out to insurers and brokers and describing yourselves as disruptive? 
there's a revolutionary and there's evolutionary. We know we deal with the largest insurance companies in the world. So we understand that change tends to happen more evolutionary than revolutionary, but change is a necessity. And we are challenging some pretty substantial basic paradigms. Historically, the focus of insurance has been inward, not outward. So it's been on how do you get better at, at back office operations rather than where I think the focus should be, which is external, which is the customer. So of, of the, we're now one of the, the largest software companies in the space that focus on the customer and the external front office rather than internal. So that's been a basic paradigm that I think we're challenging. The second one is historically the market has been very proprietary. You have large software vendors that try to create lock-in where you have to use just their tools. Uh, they've created various barriers and obstructions. So if data and, and information can't free flow between uh, various applications. And when I started with Zyway five years ago, that was one of my biggest passions was to break that uh, mindset and, and really create open standards uh, and open architecture uh, where data uh, could free flow between uh, third-party applications and also further in workflow integration. And I'm happy to report five years later that I, I think we've made as an industry a, a pretty substantial catalyst on that. And the third thing I would just add is a, another paradigm shift that Zywave has been driving is the merging of data and software. In the past, you had data providers and you had software providers. You know, I think Microsoft buying LinkedIn is an example of software companies acquiring data companies that allow the software to be more automated and more intelligent. And so Zywave uh, really is aggressive in not only buying software assets, but also acquiring data assets to make our software more intelligent and, and more automated. There's a lot in there, Jason. I was going to read those back to you just to make sure I captured them, and then we're going to like dig into them a little bit. So three major themes you're seeing. The first is you're driving more of a focus on front office relative to the sort of historical focus of insurers has been back office and therefore by implication not so much focused on their on their customers. The second is this kind of lock-in mindset, proprietary systems, proprietary standards, lack of, you know, I guess, the collaboration between the different providers and probably makes it harder, well, it does make it harder for insurers and brokers and agents to work together. And then thirdly, the one I, I completely agree with you and, and don't think we see enough of is this concept about you taking data, using the analytics and software to get some extra power to it in terms of the three categories you have. Yes, Matthew, you know, what I say, Zywave is being disruptive. Those kind of three paradigms, Zywave is really challenging and, uh, and really disrupting those three paradigms for the betterment of the industry, for sure. <laughs> yeah, you're disrupting the bad stuff, not like coming in saying, hey, we're going to go and take over your world and, and change it for the insurers. No, no, no. I, I think certainly Zywave is an enabler of allowing and enabling our customers who are the big agencies and the big carriers to be more successful and, and more, I think, centric with their customers. And I don't think we talk about the customer enough in these kind of discussions, you know, whether that's a big corporate or the individual or the kind of mom and pop store. So first of all, would I be correct in saying that as Zywave, you're supporting across that full spectrum of different sizes and types of, of customer? When I say customers, what I'm referring to is there's ultimately, you know, the actual, uh, from a carrier perspective, oftentimes they think of customers uh, as distribution. And, and we obviously work very closely with, you know, 15,000 agencies, but also 1,000 carriers and helping them to 
rethink and, and improve the way they manage their distribution. But also when we talk about customers, we're talking also about the end insured. It's ultimately the real customer, the one that's actually, you know, buying insurance, both with commercial and personal lines and, and benefits. And what I would say is that there's historically been kind of a, a really fractured view of, of how you engage with your customers. We oftentimes, when we talk to our customers, which are agencies and carriers, about the buyer's journey. When you first, you know, sign up at a new insured, uh, what is that experience like? How did you acquire them? Um, so it's everything from the prospecting to the actual acquisition. Then it moves to the onboarding process and the renewal process, and then the ongoing servicing. And how do you provide a ongoing consultative experience where the uh, client or the insured feels like they're getting value from that end-to-end experience versus, I think, historically, insurance has been a situation where they sign up a customer and they wait for a a claim to happen, and then they jump in and try to solve that claim and they move on uh, versus really viewing the relationship much more as holistically and much more extensively. What would be a good example of either a company or a, or a sort of use case that is improving the way customers, you know, the, end, the end customer, the insured, is working with their insurance, or their insurance company or their agent? From a carrier perspective, there are two external parties they should be focused on. One is distribution, and distribution is changing. It's so you're, you're starting to see insurance being embedded in non-traditional sources, particularly in personal lines. And so understanding how to manage and uh, support that experience is important. You know, come back to that in a second. The the second clientele or the category is the actual insured itself. And so maybe I can paint a picture from an agent uh, carrier perspective, and then I'll paint it from an agency perspective. So before Zywave, I've been at Zywave now for five years, I ran one of the largest software companies in sales tech. And so there are clear best practices that have been uh, utilized outside of insurance for decades that really insurance has been late to adopt. The way things work outside of insurance is where you have large high-tech companies like Cisco or IBM or you know financial services companies, the big banks, and the way they would manage their distribution, it was a much more proactive process where you brought in significant amount of ongoing training and enablement of that distribution partner of your products. And you would obviously also measure very tightly which partners you would sign up, which partners you wouldn't sign up, which partners you would actually uh, ongoingly provide additional support to. I think that more data-driven scientific approach to manager distribution, but also a much more proactive enabling approach is key. And so I'll give you one example is that Zywave right now, we, we have the largest system that agencies use to access, you know, information and content. So we have 18, 15,000 agencies. We are increasingly bringing carriers onto our platform that are instead of expecting their agency partners to go to a third-party platform or go load up an application or a web website, we can actually insert the carrier content in the systems that the agents are actually using on a day-to-day basis. So if they visit a construction company, they don't actually then have to remember to go look at a portal and act download construction-related information from a carrier. It's ultimately being served up to the agent at the moment that they're about to go visit the client. Another example is we have a lot of information, data that we have around broker of record, 
X dates that we provide carriers that allow them to actually measure which new partners they want to sign up based on their book of business or their success within a certain zip code or geography. This allows for a much more scientific way in which you sign up distribution rather than in the past, it was based on who you met at a trade show or an old relationship that you have. It's much more of a data-driven approach as well. And so we actually have hundreds of carriers that leverage our content and also our learning management system, which they can provide to their insureds so their clients can develop you know, better habits around risk management or safety or get certified on food handling, things like that. And then I flipped the same scenario for our agencies. So with our agency partners, we help them be more productive in enabling their sales team, their producers, but also we provide these client portals that allow them to create that consultative relationship directly with their uh, their clients, where their clients in a self-service manner can access learning management courses or content that can help them with risk management or safety or things like that. There's a lot, a lot going on there, Jason. I'm, I'm just trying to link this back to what you've been doing the last five years with your acquisition. So you've acquired 10 companies. You've clearly got a set of coherent strategies for what you want to do supporting your clients and grow your clients. When you've been going out looking for these companies and then bring them on board, can you talk a bit about the balance between you see a gap in the market, you want to go and acquire a company, ideally they slot into that gap. It's never as easy as that versus you've got to create a kind of innovation collaboration mindset within Zywave so that you can connect these companies together and, and organically deliver what you want to do. I, I mean, that seems to me really, really hard to do, but Clearly, you're succeeding. Yeah, if you look at Zywave, we acquired 10 companies. It was very purposeful. So um, what I would say is that five of the companies were focused on the agency space to round out our outer stack so we can automate the entire buyer's journey across commercial, personal lines, and benefits. So if you think about everything from prospecting to digital quoting to the renewal process via your agency management system, and then your client servicing or client portal. Zywave already had, you know, a wealth of products, but uh, with our acquisitions, we've now extended that into uh, filling out our full offerings across personal lines and, and commercial. Uh, so historically, there were kind of two larger platform players, and now Zywave is, is clearly the third big platform player on the agency side that can provide a full suite of solutions across the buyer's journey in the agency side. Two of our acquisitions were data acquisitions, uh, one being the largest repository for prospecting data, and the other one was advising. So we bought MyEdge on the prospecting and advising on the data, uh, with advising having the largest amount of benchmarking and lost data for commercial and then we had three acquisitions on the carrier side, and that was focused on you know, the concept of bridging better the integration and the productivity and efficiency between carriers and distribution partners. And that is everything from the rating process, quoting process, all the way through how you actually engage in enabling and servicing your, your distribution partners. Fast forward to where we are now, I, I think on the agency side, we're clearly one of the three big platform players in the space. But on the carrier side, our focus is not competing against Duck Creek or Guidewire and policy administration and and claims, which we, we view as more back office. We're really focused on how carriers can better engage with their distribution partners. Yeah, I've got this image of a five years ago, a whiteboard with a grid on it, with you mapping out 
where do you want to fill in the gaps and gradually ticking off the, the companies you want to go inquire to, to fill those gaps. And I, and I suspect, but I, w- I want to hear your view on this, that now with APIs and you've now got your open API initiative, that integration, that's becoming or should be becoming, becoming easier to either acquire or partner with companies. That's the sort of motivation behind the open API, open API just to kind of create those connections? Yeah, without question. I, I think uh, outside of insurance, you know, it, it's pretty much standard that everything is open API based. I would say in insurance, a lot of the friction that exists in insurance is created in part because of the lack of use of APIs. And so if you think about the various friction points, one is uh, the friction points within carrier and agency amongst disparate systems that don't integrate and talk to each other. There is then the integration between carrier and distributor or carrier and reinsurer and the lack of APIs there. Zywave, uh, when I first started, had a mission to open up our platform. We moved everything to a REST API, and that has been a, a clear winning strategy, and it, it certainly has opened up more partner opportunities. So Zywave announced a very comprehensive partnership with Salesforce.com last year. That has been been a big uh, catalyst, but also I, I think it's been a, a purposeful, a symbolic thing for the industry. I, I think the industry needs to start moving that direction. And when I started five years ago, that was a, a conversation I had with uh, most of the, the CEOs of the large insurance agencies was around that topic, which because it's something I feel passionate about. Uh, the only thing I would just say at this point, Matthew, is I, I think in five years, we've, we've come a long way as an industry, but there's still some headwinds. I suspect one of those headwinds might be some of the legacy mindsets. So we talk about legacy systems, but I, I heard you talk previously about the fact that why some people are supportive of this collaboration. There are some people there who, in your words, are, are not being that helpful. Is that one of the headwinds or have I just given you a fourth one? Uh, talk about this uh, oftentimes. There's three headwinds, one of which is exactly that you just described. Is You know, I was on a recent panel two weeks ago with Amy, who's the CEO of Vertifor and, and uh Taylor's a CEO of Applied. And I, I think, you know, we've come a long way as an industry where you have the three largest uh, agency software providers and their CEOs all saying, we are moving all to open APIs. And, and, and so that has obviously been a credit. I've certainly had similar conversations with the CEOs on the carrier side. And, and what I would say is, I think you have acknowledgement at the, at the C-suite. The problem is in the trenches, you know, there are still, you know, sales reps or technical support people that are not playing nice and throwing up impediments and roadblocks, whether it be slow playing the integration or charging exorbitant amounts for, you know, API access when it should be really a free. That type of bad behavior, I I think, needs to be rooted out. So I, I think without question, that's one of the impediments to open APIs. I think the other one is legacy tech. Zywave is in a great position. We don't have legacy tech. You know, we have always been 100% SaaS. We've always had REST APIs. The 10 companies we bought, at least nine of them were all API and cloud-based. So we don't have some of the challenges some of our other you know, larger players in the market, whether it be agency or carrier, have a lot of legacy debt, on-prem software. A lot of their APIs are really SOAP APIs, which are not REST APIs. So my, I'd say the last kind of inhibitor right now is also data structure is, you know, you could have an API, but if, if ultimately your data is in the wrong format or garbage, not standardized, it obviously, you know, hinders some of the ability to, to move that data across disparate systems. Uh, well, Jason, you've got a very technical audience for the most part, and certainly well-read. Everyone listening to us uh, is well-informed. 
I don't think all of them are going to know the difference between a SOAP and a REST API. Can you, you kind of give a simple version of the difference between SOAP and REST when it comes to APIs? <laughs> the way I would describe it is a REST API allows you to you know, uh, move to more of a modular way in which you can extract the data versus a SOAP API is almost like hardwiring, uh, which is breakable. And if, if circumstances change, you change the data structure, one of the app changes, you end up breaking that, that connection. So a REST API allows for a, a more dynamic and modular approach that is much more sustainable. That's a very elegant description. It certainly works for me. I want to just come on to another topic, which is on everyone's minds this year. Certainly people that are raising funds and and I guess also working with companies to make sure they're still going to be around in a few years. But we've seen a big shift in the external funding market everywhere, but that, yeah, and, and insurance and technology hasn't, hasn't definitely suffered from that. But, but what's your sort of experience? Uh, and, what, and to a little extent, what do you think is going to happen with this sort of shortage of capital and more demanding investors we've seen in the last, uh, I guess it's probably a year and a half now? I, as I said, I've been at Zywave now for five years, and I've been a creature of private equity uh, over the last 20 years. And oftentimes, so I, I meet hundreds and hundreds of customers, you know, each year. It's one of the things I get great joy and love uh, love meeting these customers. And I would say any customer that's uh, Zywave, I appreciate your business. And certainly feel free to send me an email at jason.lu at zywave.com. But what I would say is oftentimes when I talk to customers, Sometimes, you know, when I talk about some of these disruptive things going on and where the industry is heading, they, they oftentimes say insurance never changes. Insurance has been the same and there's been a lot of, you know, you know, false canaries in the coal mine, that type of thing. And and one thing I would say that I think really needs to be seriously considered about why this is different is the influx of private equity and venture, but particularly private equity into insurance. There's been a massive influx of private equity into insurance. In the agency world, I, I would say right now, of the top 50 agencies, at least half to, to more than half of them, uh, two-thirds of them are now private equity-backed. On the MGA side, it's kind of very similar things as well. And even on the carrier side, you're starting to see a really massive influx of private equity. The folks that think it's just going to be the same old, same old, once you know you bring in private equity, I think are going to be really in for a surprise, having worked in private equity for 20 years. The beauty of what private equity is, it's a cleansing function of of forcing efficiencies in return. You know, very ruthless in that respect, but I, I like it. To me, it's about having a clear set of goals and metrics and knowing what you need to hit. And so the private equity funds are going to need their three three X return. And in the last maybe five to 10 years, they've been able to achieve that through acquisition. You know, so they've not really been pushing efficiency or top line growth in, in their portfolio companies because they've been able to do it through acquisition. And that's how the insurance industry, in, in my opinion, has has been the last, you know, five to 10 years is, is there's been an influx of private equity, but it's really led to a, a wave of consolidation. What I will say is now that the interest rates are getting higher, the formulas are changing. So if you look at an agency, historically, they would make two thirds of their value creation off of acquisitions, a third off of, you know, internal things, organic growth or, or cost consolidation. It's now flipped where acquisitions are slowing. And so they have to make it up through organic means, which either means top-line growth or, you know, cost consolidation. So I've certainly seen in the last 12 months a pretty massive shift in the market uh, towards agencies, MGAs, and even carriers now starting to consolidate their tech stack, but also really think about how they drive top-line organic growth. And I think that's going to be good for the industry. It's, it's forcing change. It's forcing disruption, which would otherwise be a, a bit of a complacent type of situation. 
Yeah, it also seems that the PE money is overtaking the venture capital money, but of course it's got it looks at things very differently. I mean, it looks at it on a very much an earnings multiple and you said, you know, looking to get a return probably quicker and, and need the income to fund the debt. But is that also what you think is happening? We have a team that does acquisitions. We we talk to a lot of early stage venture back companies for the larger, you know, carriers and agencies. I'd be very careful which early stage or venture back company you work with right now, you know, because we're on the other side talking to them and a lot of them are running out of cash. A lot of them have really uh, revisited their value, their lofty valuation expectations. I would just encourage your your listeners to very much do diligence on the financial stability of any early stage technology or business that you're looking to deploy. I certainly wouldn't encourage you to avoid using early stage venture back companies for mission critical applications right now, unless you're very certain about their funding source. But that's a pretty high risk that you would, you know, base your mission critical application or data on an early stage company that is uh, very risky at this point. The question is, how long is this cycle going to go through? What's interesting is that the venture model, I mean, we could talk about this, is the private equity model is going through a little bit of a change, in, in but it's simply being a lowering of kind of the, the returns. The fundamental model doesn't change in the private equity world, even with higher interest rates. Many of these venture-backed deals made their living off the big IPO. And in the last 23 months, there hasn't been a large large venture-backed IPO in 23 months, other than a few weeks ago, Instacart went out and uh, and one other one, and, and those were very disappointing. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty right now in what the, the, the venture model is going to be in this world of low growth, you know, high inflation. And uh, and so I just want to be very careful of as one of your listeners about leveraging venture-backed venture you know, companies in, in this type of environment. Not to say you should never do it, but, but be very, very deliberate, thoughtful, and do your diligence. Yeah, well, before I get angry phone calls and emails from our friends in the UK, I might just load the question with this. <laughs> Do you see a difference, because I know you've got you've got companies over in the UK and you've got a good global reach, between the type of funding coming into the UK versus the US? And just so what we tend to see now that the companies that have survived that kind of crazy world, you know, didn't, they, most of them, none of them went out for IPOs, but they were actually doing the business the old-fashioned way. So they were winning clients, generating revenue, might have got some seed funding, and then they went out, and they still raised relatively modest funding. So I, I mean, arguably, they might not even come into the definition of venture-backed. They used the funding to grow, but they're not reliant on ten, hundred million dollar investment to actually survive. So just make sure I just before I scare people off, some of the companies that I yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think Matthew, I would definitely say there, there's definitely a difference between kind of a founder-based business that is doing things the old-fashioned way, which I think is going to be rewarded, which is you know grow. You know, Zywave was founder-based 30 years ago when Bill Hack started it. So I, I would draw the distinction between, you know, a, a founder-based business that's running leanly, profitable, doing things the old-fashioned way, and, and you know, a venture-backed deal where they raised, you know, $100 million and are burning through a ton of cash. I, I think, to your point, there's a very big distinction. I, I think in the UK, you tend to see more founder-run businesses that are running more efficiently and more... Um, to your point, uh, the old-fashioned way versus I think it's a bit of a more U.S. mindset of let's raise that big round and grow, grow, grow at, at the expense of profitability. So I, I think those those companies are the ones that are, are struggling the most in the U.S. are the ones that that raised a bunch of money and burned a lot of cash. Yeah, quite a lot of headcount reduction. People don't issue press releases when they do the downsize or down rounds, but 
definitely seeing a bit of that. And then to what extent, you, you talked a bit of, about Zywave in terms of your, you've got an acquisitions team. How public are you in terms of the size of acquisitions you make? You know, what entry do you go in at? And you know, what areas are you, are you looking at? So, you know, Zywave, as I said, on the agency side, we are the third big platform player in the space. And, and we feel like we really have now the full stack of software that any small, medium, or large agency requires to um, grow and service their customers. The carrier side is where we're actually spending more of our time looking at, at acquisitions because we feel like there's a lot more that we need to do there from a technology gap perspective. I think one area that Zywave is very much looking into, and this I know many of your audience uh, or listeners are or may have a, an underwriting kind of bent, is, is that there definitely seems to be a lot of mind share right now focused on how you solve this underwriting work, work bench or submission process. I think sometimes they think a magic bullet is going to be called, called this thing called the underwriter's workbench. But inherently what the problem they're trying to solve is two problems. One is there's a lot of inefficiencies in the submission process within an agency and then from an agency to a carrier is when you submit you know, a quote or a renewal for a commercial policy, oftentimes 80 to 90% of it is done via email and that's internal to the agency. Once the agency sends it to the carrier, that is an inefficient process because uh, oftentimes the carrier doesn't respond or it's stuck in someone's inbox and et cetera, et cetera. So that's one problem. The other problem is then once you solve this mission problem, there's not a, a uniform way in which underwriters kind of look at at uh, their whole book of business and and manage that through the, the lifestyle and also integrated other applications. So Zywave is very much interested in that submission process because that is a front-end process. We're also very interested in the rating, the actual underwriter's workbench. Those are the areas that we're kind of looking uh, to solve from an M&A standpoint or further improving the submission process, further improving the rating process. We bought the best carrier and MGA rating product on the market uh, called Clarion Door, rated by Salient as the best uh, rating product. We bought that about uh, 24 months ago. There's still more to do on the, on the rating side and the submission uh, process. The only other thing I, I would just state about our acquisitions, I, I think it might be an interesting area to discuss, Matthew, is you know a, a number of our acquisitions has been around the comparative rating and digital quoting process. We're doing about $100 billion in premiums between personal lines, commercial, and benefits. And so certainly uh, we see more of the lower end of the market going online and being entirely or mostly digital with mid-market large group being still heavily agency and, and consultative. But there's certainly areas of efficiency that can be driven even at those you know, higher ends of the, of the segments. I'm just going to repeat that number back in case anyone missed it. $100 billion of, is that premium or is that the value of premium yeah yeah we haven't yet talked about generative ai and one as you're talking there one of the use cases we're seeing is the use case for generative ai to solve some of those you know nasty dirty problems i call them of like things like <laughs> you know, how do you ingest data and sort out sort out what's going on a lot of people are talking about what the future looks like but, but in, if you look at the next six to 12 months what are the areas that are really starting to change quite meaningfully using generative ai tools Machine-based AI has been in the market for a while. Zywave has obviously embedded that in many of our products already. What's a new new right now is generative AI, as you had stated, Matthew. And Zywave was the very first uh, large software company to embed uh, generative AI into production-ready products. So we launched that about five or six months ago. Um, our thought process is right now, we've got to identify the areas that have use 
for AI, but also, you know, are, quote, safe, <laughs> you know, because there's still a lot of risk of inaccurate information or conclusions being drawn if you just let AI, generative AI, go on its own. So the, the two areas that we embedded generative AI in our products, one is Zywave has the leading marketing automation product that's insurance-specific. It's obviously more used on the agency side. We have thousands, thousands of agencies that use our marketing automation product. When an, a producer is typing up an email, that email historically was written by the, the user, which was a producer or an account manager. Uh, now, uh, within our system, you can use generative AI to actually you know, pre-write that email. Uh, oftentimes, it's using data that exists in the system, so it knows it's a construction company or knows it's a, a restaurant and, and personalizes that email in such a way that really saves time, but, but actually creates a much more personalized experience. The producer still reviews it before they send it. So that was a very obvious use case that we rolled out. The other way that we've done it is Zywave, as part of our client cloud, we've now started using generative AI to help answer a lot of the more basic questions that are about HR compliance, uh, things like that. Of course, there's a human that reviews it before it goes out, but you can imagine that there's definitely some complex HR compliance questions that need a human professional to answer, which we, we can do, but there's a lot of very basic questions that can be answered versus generative AI. Obvious use case for generative AI is the submission process, and I'm looking forward to hopefully you know, identifying startups that have solve that because it's it's a big problem that, that needs to be solved. And I think generative AI is, is an obvious way to do that. So that, that's kind of my, my high level, Matthew. I, I was smiling when you were describing the tool you're using to create emails because I've been talking to a few people who've actually been building tools that can read emails for broker submissions. And so I get this vision of like two generative AI tools talking to each other through you know, the old system of uh, of emails because it's because it's, the whole system is not efficient yet. So it's, sort of, it's kind of Fun to see how this is evolving. Anyway, we won't we won't go there for now. I did have a a, a question actually. It's a bit of advice actually, Jason, for you. So I'm running a business that's got 14 people. I, I feel pretty busy. You've got a thousand people. How do you manage your life? I mean, for me or anybody else out there <laughs> that's running a business, how on earth do you manage to do that? Yeah, I'm sure you have your hands full with 14 versus a, a, you know a thousand. So I'll state some various obvious cliches and mobile maybe hopefully give you uh, some insights that are kind of new and interesting. But, you know, certainly it all starts with your team. If you have the right team, then certainly it makes your life, you know, much more easier and, and more fruitful and, and more more productive. So I, I would say, you know, hiring the right team is, is an obvious thing. But the kind of the two or three kind of insights that I would say that maybe I can share that I think are unique to the way that I think about things is, one is, I do think one of the most important things you can do as a leader, and I say this to every... I've been a CEO now for 25 years, and every new leader, I tell them this, and I, I don't think they ever fully appreciate what I'm saying, is that one of my keys and secret to successes is I've developed a, a process early that when I first start, I spent a lot of time on a data-driven bottoms-up agreement and alignment amongst your strategic and operational plan. Where I see a lot of the mistakes being made are companies that try to do too much, or they have... A, folks at the lower end of the organization that are doing things off script that aren't part of the overall strategic plan and operational plan. And I think in large part, it's because most, if not all companies, vast majority, don't take the time early on to actually lay out a thoughtful, deliberate, cohesive plan, uh, both strategically or operationally. And so it creates confusion 
a lot of wasted cycles amongst, you know, employees. So there's a process I created. It literally takes 90 days. It's very comprehensive, very data-driven. I'm not saying every player out there needs to spend 90 days on it, but really I think is a very important thing to make sure that everyone is kind of on the same page. And what I'll tell you is ultimately your tactics will change, you know, but the underlying pillars of your strategic and operational framework, at least 80, 90% of it should be the same from two to three years and oftentimes five years. And if you are going to vary off one of your strategic pillars, there's got to be a really good reason for that. That's my first piece of advice. I think the second piece of advice I'd say is take care of yourself. Like I'm a huge health nut. Every day I run, it's kind of how I start the day. And so I run three to five miles every day and I try not to listen to podcasts or music very often and try to use it to, to clear my head. I think making sure that you're mentally right and ready for the day, it's a clear way to, to kind of ensure that you're using your time effectively. <laughs> and I guess the, the last thing I would just say is, as it talks about people is the culture you build. I mean, that goes without saying is it's critical that you invest in culture, particularly in this remote first environment. That is critical to try to create leverage and create uh, that community that, uh, that you all are on the same team. Oh, well, Jason, there's some great insights in there. I've been taking notes rapidly. Uh, I managed to go running about once every two weeks, obviously to step up my game on that one. Um, but you're saying looking very healthy. So you're, you're proof of the, the fact it works. Look, we've covered an awful lot there and it's Friday and you've got a lot of other things to do. Is there anything we haven't spoken about or is important you want to just add to anything we've said already just before we wrap things up? Yeah, you know, I, I think I maybe had just a quick Zywave piece and then I, I can maybe just plant a seed for your listener. In the case of, of Zywave, you know, I just would encourage everyone to kind of pay attention to Zywave, you know, give us an opportunity to kind of... Uh, share our vision and thoughts for the future. We're a much, much different company than we were five years ago. There's a lot that we can share and, and can be a better partner. Uh, I also would say that for any of your listeners that are Zywave customer, I thank you for the business. And certainly, uh, if you need to reach me or, or there's some things that we can do better, it's jason.lu at zywave.com. And then I would say just as it relates to a broader marketplace, I kind of touched on some disruptive themes. You know, one was around front office. There's actually a book that, an ebook that myself and Don Bailey wrote Don was the former um, CEO of Willis, North America, president of Marsh, uh, and now the head of distribution for AIG. It really talks about the future of insurance from a sales and a customer perspective. It's worth, uh, you know, the 60 to 90 minute read. You can get it off the Zywave website. But I think Don does a, a great job. He's been an industry veteran, great mind in insurance. He lays out in the first half of the book, the why. Why is insurance changing from a selling perspective and a customer perspective? And then I lay out the what and the how. I just would encourage people to download that. It's worth the read. And, and I think it's going to change the way you think about things. So that would be my big kind of piece. The I, I'd say also on the other two disruptive things, keep helping me push for open integration, open standards. It takes a community. It can't just be uh, myself and a few folks that push this, but uh, demand it from your vendors. Demand it from everything is uh, open architecture, open standards, and open integration. Uh, so those are my couple of things, Matthew. We'll put a link to the book in the notes. You've made me feel even more inadequate now, Jason. You've written a book as well. <laughs> uh, but and, and, and you may not listen to many podcasts, but actually I'm thrilled that April, who runs your marketing, listen to podcasts and that's how i think we discovered each other and we very much appreciate your support and zywave support working together and and also for carving out so much time i found that really fascinating and and uh we learned a huge amount there so thank you very much and uh, i'll let you get back on the rest of your rest of your friday yeah, absolutely matthew thanks for inviting me and i look forward to future chats and i uh, really appreciate all of your listeners thanks jason all right take care bye 
Well, that's it for today. If you want to find out more about what we're up to at Instec, don't forget www.instec.co to find out about events and everything else we're doing. And if you're interested in learning more about membership, then you can find out by contacting us directly. Hello at instec.co. That's it. We're done.